I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John. Several Sundays ago, I felt somewhat compelled, deeply convicted uh, as I looked at a verse that I've seen before in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. You don't need to turn there, but the series of messages that I have been preaching comes out of that that uh, ominous verse that we find spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 7, 21. And when he says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and you may recall at the onset of this series of messages that I entitled Real Christianity, I made the statement and I stand by it. There are a whole lot of people today who are walking on this earth, sitting in church pews, names on church rolls, who think they're going to heaven, and according to the teachings of God's word, they won't. They're not disciples. They're not true disciples. I preach the message on what I call the real biblical gospel. Because out of the real biblical gospel, you find people coming to understand what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ and to experience the wonderful gift of salvation. And unfortunately, there are a wide variety of versions of the gospel that are being preached out there. I call it easy to believeism. That is misleading people and giving people the false understanding and, and, and sensation that they are okay with God when in fact they're not according to the teachings of, of the Holy Word of God. We talked about the importance of understanding real Christianity, biblical Christianity, the way the Bible describes what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be followers of Christ. And, and we talked about the importance of knowing that we as as citizens of the kingdom, the only way you're going to inherit the kingdom of God is to be a part of the family of God. To be a part of the family of God, you've got to be a follower of the Son of God. That means only disciples, only true biblical disciples will inherit the kingdom of God, will see the kingdom of God, and will experience eternal life. And so as we have looked at that, at that at very concept, and, and those very subjects... The last time I preached, I preached the message talking about being a disciple. Extracting some principles, or many principles actually, out of that wonderful uh, work given to us by Dr. Avery Willis, who himself now is in heaven, called Master Life. And several groups, several of you have been in my Master Life groups here at Cornerstone. It's a wonderful discipling tool. And so I've used a number of the principles he gave us in that study, but certainly sticking to the text of the Word of God. And we talked about what it means to be a true disciple. I gave you his definition, and I think it's one of the best definitions of what a disciple is. He talked about Christian discipleship is the process of developing a personal, lifelong, obedient relationship with Jesus Christ in which he transforms our character into Christ-likeness. We talked about, we, we read together responsively about being the, the light of the world being the salt of the earth. That doesn't happen, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot be salty to a, a, a rotting and dying sinful world if you have not been transformed from the inside out as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Transforms uh, our character into Christ-likeness and changes your values into kingdom values. So that you're not obsessed and concerned about yourself and what will satisfy your needs and your desires and live a self-centered life, but all you're preeminently thinking about is the kingdom of God. And what are you doing with your life to advance the kingdom of God, to represent the king himself? So he changes our values to kingdom values, and then he involves us in his mission 
It's not about a past event where you can say, oh yeah, I got a certificate, or I was baptized, or my name is on the church roll. I remember 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 10 years ago, or a year ago. It's not about pointing back to a past event and saying, oh yeah, I got this covered, I'm okay with God. Because what he's doing, he is a true disciple, he's involving you daily in his mission, beginning in your home, and then the church, and then out into the world. A lifelong, obedient, personal relationship daily following after Christ. We talked about the three commitments of a of true biblical disciple. Taken right out of Luke 9, 23, where the Lord said, If any man come after me, let him deny himself. A lot of people can't even clear that hurdle. We can't get over ourselves. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. In other words, be ready and willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to go where Christ would call you to go, to do what Christ would have you to do, to be who Christ has died for you to be. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Who are you following after? Are you following after your own selfish ambitions and desires? Are you following after the inklings and desires of the world? The temptations of the world or the temptations of the flesh? Or are you going with the crowd? Are you being what other people think you ought to be? Or going where other people say you ought to, ought to go and doing what other people think you ought to do? Or are you following Christ? And then in the last message, I talked about three of the disciplines of a disciple. We looked at the commitments of a disciple. We also began to look at the, the, the very disciplines. You know... I appreciate Sister Sherry and the commitment she has to offering this, this ministry in nutrition. A lot of us, we want to be healthy. We want to be in good shape. But unfortunately, we're not really willing to be disciplined. And to be, to, to be healthy and to be in good shape, you, you really do have to be disciplined, don't you, Sherry? You have to be disciplined in your diet. You have to be disciplined in your commitment to, to regular exercise. You have to be disciplined in taking care of your body. So listen, it just doesn't happen. You don't just get up and, and eat a bowl of Wheaties and say, I'm going to be in good, great shape. It's discipline. And sometimes discipline can be a little bit painful. But it's the only way to accomplish the goal that we have. And so when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it takes discipline. You may recall in the last message, I challenged you to review, examine yourself, as Paul would say, where are you in the area of spending time with the Master? Do you have quality time with God? Every day. Time that you set apart just to be alone with God. To speak to Him. To listen to Him. And to get your marching orders for the day. Do you have quality time with God? Spend time with the Master. Live in obedience to His Word. Do you meditate upon the Word of God? Does it speak to your heart? And when He does, when He convicts you of something that's in your mind or in your life or in your relationships and it's wrong, do you obey Him? It's not a matter of being a Bible scholar. There are plenty of Bible scholars that will end up in hell. It's a matter of knowing the Word of God and applying the Word of God, obeying the Word of God. So spending time with the Master, obeying His Word, living in obedience to His Word, and then praying. Regularly praying. Paul says, pray without ceasing. What did Paul mean by that in the Greek? He meant pray without ceasing. <laughs> Always be in communication with God. And every day you spend time talking to the Lord, listening to the Lord, praying in faith, 
Believing as you pray. And so those three disciplines we looked at before, and today as I bring to conclusion the series, I want us to look at the last three disciplines, if you will. And the first is His disciples, Jesus' true biblical disciples, enjoy fellowshipping with believers. Enjoy fellowshipping with fellow believers. As you look here in John's Gospel, let me take you to chapter 13. Many of you know this, but if you'll turn over to chapter 13 in John's Gospel, Jesus is telling His disciples. Now, earlier, you know, you think about Matthew 22, Verse 37 through 38, Jesus says, the, you know, when tested, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said the second greatest commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. But in John 13, 34, 35, Jesus said a new commandment. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the multitude. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to casual follower, uh, followers. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to those who have made a commitment to deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow Him. And He says, here's a new commandment for you, gentlemen. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. True believers of Jesus Christ enjoy fellowshipping with other believers. We carry out the Lord's commandment, that great new commandment that He just gave. We carry out the Lord's command within the body of Christ. You can't exercise the new commandment if you're not in church, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you're not actively, actively engaged. Christ's love should flow freely through each member. Nowhere on the earth should you experience the love of God more than when you're in church in the context of with other believers. You know, at the end of the service today, at the conclusion as we traditionally do, I'll ask Pastor Mark to come and lead us. We'll try to join hands together and we'll sing a stanza. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. And after that, we'll all rush or assemble in the fellowship hall. Please be orderly. But we'll assemble together in that, that wonderful hall where we'll gather around the table and some delicious food and we'll enjoy what we have called, fondly drawn out of 1 Corinthians, a love feast. There's a lot of love going on there. A wonderful fellowship. And so, you know, coming together in, in the context of the church is the primary medium whereby God's people show love for one another. His love is expressed through service to each other, his love is expressed through affirmation to one another and of one another and, and when necessary, even accountability towards each other. Listen, one of the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ is you're with people who love you as Christ loves you. Nowhere on the face of the earth should I feel more affirmed than I am when I am in the context of my church family. Nobody should be building me up more than my brothers and sisters in Christ. And likewise, nowhere else should I be encouraging and affirming people more than I am when I am in the context of my church. When we come together, we should look for every opportunity to affirm and encourage one another. Let me tell you something. This world in which we live, 
that is so saturated with sin and immorality and selfishness and sensationalism and sensualism and materialism. Listen, it's, it's bent on beating people down and pointing out their, uh, their faults and being one up on them and stabbing them in the back and spreading lies about them. Listen, we don't need that in the body of Christ. Amen? When we come together... We ought to be spiritual cheerleaders for each other. When you see a brother or sister doing something good, notable, listen, encourage them and, and, and affirm them. When you see them exercising their spiritual gifts, when you see them contributing to the life of the church, say words of affirmation and encouragement. And look for opportunities to serve one another. Heaven forbid that we would get that restaurant mentality of popping down and saying, here I am. Come wait on me. Come serve me. Take care of me. Listen. There's one old revival preacher who said, and he didn't know that I was Native American. He says, we sound like a bunch of Indians. All we say is, me won't, me won't. And I have to confess, Indians do say that. This one included. But, as the people of God, we ought to be looking for every opportunity where we can serve each other unselfishly as the love of Christ emanates from us and flows through us. And then, as I said, there are times, as Jesus pointed out in Matthew 18, that we have to hold each other accountable. When you see me stray from the teachings of the Lord and from the will of God, you have a responsibility not to go and tell somebody else and gossip about me and, and spread smear about me. No, you have a responsibility to come to me in love and confront me. And I have the same responsibility to do that to you. And the scripture tells us that when we come to a brother or sister who is walking in sin and they don't listen to us, go get another witness. And when they don't listen to you and that witness, you bring it to the church. But let me help you to understand something. Discipline is a wonderful act of love. Don't dare practice church discipline until you have made sure you cover the bases of love. So, as, as God's people, we carry out the Lord's command to love one another within the body of Christ, but we mature as disciples through relationships in the body. It's in the context of the body that we grow. I think about Proverbs 27, 17, where the writer said, Iron, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You can't be all that God has called you to be without being in the body of Christ because in the context with fellow Christians, we help each other. Just as that file sharpens that blade, iron sharpens iron. Listen, we help each other to become all that God has, has gifted and called us to be. I love that passage in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 when the, the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another so as to stir up love and good works. When we come together, we shouldn't be like a bunch of fighting cats looking at each other's faults and failures and, and, and jumping on. Listen, when we come together, he says, we ought to stir up love and good works. Do you have a positive, productive Effect on fellow believers when, they, when you're around them? Or when you show up in the door, do you see them kind of scattering? Oh no, here he comes. <laughs> oh no, he's here. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, let us consider one another so as to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. 
I don't know if any of you realize that yesterday the world was supposed to end. I was just wondering, well, what will I do in my message? But no. James said, what will we do all this food? No. It didn't. You said, duh. But Jesus is coming again. The day of the Lord is coming. And brothers and sisters, I do believe it's sooner than we really think. Christ is coming. And I want to remind you of that as often as I can. Don't get beaten down by the world. Don't be discouraged by the trials and troubles you're going through. Because Jesus is coming. It's sooner than you think. Look up. Be cheerful. Be hopeful. Be excited. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But the fact is, Jesus is coming again. Because of that, we exhort each other. We encourage each other. And we serve each other. You know, we're interconnected. God never called His people to be islands floating around out there. He called us to be one body. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. He says, So we being many are one body in Christ, and each member belongs to all the others. Like it or not, when you joined this church family and you entered into that covenant relationship, you became a part of the body. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but all the parts of my body are vital. I don't see them all. I can't tell you how they all work, but I guarantee you, I want my gallbladder to work. I want my brain to work. It's questionable at times, but uh, you know, I want my kidney to work. I want it all to work together. I don't want it to be in competition and, 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 and fragmented. I want it working like one body in unison. So goes the body of Christ. We're different. Amen? Love the diversity. Celebrate the diversity. Appreciate the diversity. Because God is the one that made us different. And with that, He's given us different strengths and different talents and different abilities and different interests. And, and, and you know, what He's saying is we all need each other. We're interconnected and we work best when we come together in unison as one body functioning for the glory of God. And He's gifted us all. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Tells us as each member has received a gift, every person that comes to faith in Jesus Christ and is a true follower of Christ is given supernaturally, divinely, at least one spiritual gift. And it's not for you to brag about. And it's not for you to go around with a t-shirt and say, I got the gift of helps. I got the gift of giving and have a dollar mark. <laughs> no, he gives us the spiritual gifts that we might serve to build up the body of Christ. That's what Ephesians 4.11 says. The pastors and teachers are here to, to, to equip the body that they may edify the body of Christ, each member. And we exercise our spiritual gifts in the context of the church. And this is what it means to be a true disciple. We enjoy the fellowship of coming together. And all members, all active members, all able-bodied members have a responsibility to do your part. The pastors will do ours, but we can't do yours. And nor should you expect us to. That's totally ineffective. It's totally inefficient. The deacons will do their role. Our ministry coordinators will do their responsibilities. But make sure you're doing your part. If you ever want to get critical of the church, I would advise you first to take a good hard look at yourself and ask yourself, 
am I being as effective in building up this church and making it become all that God wants it to be? Am I doing my part to help it realize its God-given potential? Am I doing my part? Because I guarantee you, every one of us has opportunities to plug in. Our church has made efforts to create opportunities to bring our members together to, to develop meaningful relationships. We have Christian growth groups. For the guests, those are simply Christian growth groups. <laughs> CGGs. It's like Sunday school. We have, we have home groups. We're, and then we have a home group that meets here at the church. Our companions. We have D groups, discipleship groups, because we understand the importance of God's people coming together to grow together in the Word of God, to grow together in our love for Christ and our love for each other. So true biblical disciples enjoy fellowship and with believers. But let's move on. Another discipline, his disciples faithfully witness to the lost. As you go back to John, look in chapter 15. True disciples faithfully witness to the lost. Look with me in verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me. And would you pay attention to the number of times that Christ uses that phrase, Abide in me. Let that settle in, ladies and gentlemen, because that is absolutely essential. And to abide means to live in, take up residence in. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. How fruitful are you? I'm not talking about how many chillings you got, as they say back in the country. My dad was able to come down for our Martin family picnic yesterday, and he enjoys getting together. And uh, he loves kids. Of course, he and mom had 11, so I guess he had conditioning already. But, you know, everybody teases them about being fruitful and multiplying. And my mom said, well, I was just doing my part. <laughs> How fruitful are you? I'm not talking about the number of children you got now. How fruitful are you for the Lord? You know, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, We bear forth fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering, or self-discipline. How much of that fruit do you bear on a regular basis without even thinking about it? If somebody was close to you, a husband or a wife or a child or maybe one of your co-workers or schoolmates, or somebody knows you pretty closely and, and they had a list of the, of the spiritual fruit and I asked them, uh, do an inventory of so-and-so here. They're a member of my church. How fruitful do you, how much of this do you see in their life at school, on the job, at home when the preacher's not looking? How much would they be able to check? How fruitful are you with the fruit of the Spirit? And let me tell you, don't forget, Jesus says the only way that you can bear spiritual fruit is you've got to abide in Him. You don't do it, but you don't manufacture it yourself. 
It's not based upon your personality or your intelligence or how, you know, uh, good you are morally. It's fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit of God. And you've got to abide in Christ. How fruitful are you? But then also, as you look at that passage there in John 15, 8 that we just read, when he says, you want to know what glorifies God the Father? It's for you to be very fruitful. Isn't that what he says? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples. Every one of us has a responsibility to duplicate ourselves spiritually. Every one of us. No exceptions. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, God will lead you in the path of a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, an unsaved sinner. And you know what? Through the development of a relationship, getting to know that person, and praying that the Holy Spirit would lead you for look for opportunities where you may plant gospel seeds or just talk to them outright or what, about who Jesus Christ is and, and who He is to you. A few Sundays ago, I made available to all of you this wonderful gospel track, this evangelistic track. It said, stop! We even have it in the Spanish version. I can't say it. Stop! Who do you think I am? And then, and you know, you could ask them, who do, who do you think Jesus is? Because that'll get the conversation rolling then. Because their salvation, their relationship with the Lord depends upon who they say He is. And you can guide them by the Holy Spirit to come to a full biblical understanding of what it means to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And not only that, you can tell them what the Lord means to you and how important He is to your life and the change that He's made in you. You can, you can encourage them by, by telling them how Jesus can work in their life. Listen, let me tell you something. We developed a simple evangelistic strategy, as simple as three words. Go, know, and show. Pray all you want to about that lost neighbor. You can lament and moan and groan in your prayer closet all you want, but ladies and gentlemen, until you get up off your haunches and go, be where they are. If not in their house, take them out to lunch or meet them and say, listen, I've got something on my heart that I'd really like to, you know, talk to you about. Get to know them. And all the time pray that God would show how you could lead them to Christ if it's God's will. And then all, all depends upon the Lord's will. So disciples faithfully witness to the lost through the power of the Holy Spirit. We bear fruit for the Lord. But the Lord chose and redeemed us for His divine purpose. God has a purpose. If you're truly a follower of Christ, if you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, a biblical disciple of Jesus Christ, the fact is you didn't choose Him. You didn't go out there hunting for some religious experience and get donged on the head by some kind of event or experience or emotional sensation. You say, oh, I got Jesus. <laughs> that lasts about as long as a Dandelion. No, 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 no. John 15, 16, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, you didn't choose me. So get over yourselves. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You understand? If you are a blood-bought, Christ-dwelling, heaven-bound, disciple of Jesus Christ, it's only because he chose you. But listen to what he says. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. 
that you may go forth and bear fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't die on a cross, shed his precious sinless blood, agonize before humanity and creation, and suffer like you and I will never suffer, and give his life so that you could simply have your name on a church roll, sit comfortably in a padded pew, and one day have a ticket to heaven. You've missed the boat. If that's your concept of what Christianity is and what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And I chose you to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, but also bearing forth the fruit of new believers. And that's a part of what it means. That's our purpose through our close fellowship with Him. We bear a witness to the lost. Oh, by the way, please, do me and do the church a favor. Don't, don't go out there witnessing or attempting to witness for the Lord if you're living like the devil. Please, don't desecrate the purity of the gospel message if you know you're dabbling in sin and sinful relationships and you have a terrible attitude and you're cheating and lying and people don't even open your mouth. Don't even say I'm a Christian. Please keep your mouth shut until you can get your heart open and let God do a work. Because when you talk about being a witness, you've got to have something to show for it. And people need to be able to see Jesus. They need to see that Jesus is indeed the Lord of your life. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers says. You can't have Him as Lord or Savior if you don't accept Him as Lord. Jesus is not your ticket to heaven. He's the way to God, no doubt about it. But He came into this world. He died to save you and me from the awful penalty of our sins. But He came to be the Lord and the Master of our lives. And you cannot testify, you cannot witness until Jesus indeed is the Lord of your life. Make Him Lord. Follow Him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. His Holy Spirit takes control of our thoughts, our words, and our actions. I know, I know, not everybody is a big mouth like me and Courtney and Pastor Mark, Wendy, and now I'm just picking on... Hey, look, I'm the big mouth. Not everybody's a big mouth. I like people. I like talking to people. And you say, well, I'm bashful and I'm introverted. And, it's, and I, I understand that. I understand that. But do you know that you being an effective witness is not dependent upon your personality type? It really isn't. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. And let the Holy Spirit use you. You pray. And you say, Lord, I know this person appears that they don't have a relationship with you and it burdens my heart. And, and if you want them to be a Christian and be a follower of you, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want you to use me somehow, some way. And you watch and see what the Spirit of God will do to open up a door of opportunity for you. You see, witnessing to the lost is a natural overflow of a disciple's life who has made the three commitments and who is engaged in the spiritual disciplines, including fellowship with believers and faithfully witnessing to the lost. And finally, I want you to see the last of the disciplines. His disciples sacrificially minister to others. His disciples sacrificially minister 
to others. Jesus said in John 15, 13, you look right there in your Bible. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Being a follower of Christ can be costly. It can be terribly inconvenient. It can take you out of your comfort zone. But you know, Jesus says, and you know, I told you, Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said the second greatest commandment. Number two. Number two. You know, being a Wake Forest fan, you know, of course, everybody aspires for their team to be number one. But shoot, I'd, I would have settled for number two a lot of times. Number two sounds good. Hey, listen, the second greatest commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Is it the person that looks like me and thinks like me and acts like me? Not necessarily, Jesus says. He taught that very familiar parable we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Oh, not necessarily so, because you see, it was a Jewish man on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, or vice versa, and he got attacked by robbers and beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And lo and behold, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders came by. You know what they did? They kind of, ooh, can't touch him. Who was it? Who was it that risked his life, went out of his way, made a sacrificial investment to help that man in his great time of need? It wasn't even a Jew. It was a Samaritan. Because you see, to him, that man wasn't just a beat-up Jew. He was his neighbor. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Anybody, anybody that you know who is in need and God convicts your heart to help them, instantly they are your neighbor. Listen, true disciples sacrificially minister to others. Having Christ in us compels us to serve others. Newsflash, that's not a new concept in Christianity. Jesus said in, back in Matthew chapter 20, it says that he, he called his disciples to himself and he says, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, exercised great authority over them? He says, not so among you. For whoever among you wants to be great will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave. That went totally contrary to the teachings and the practice of the Judaism of that day. You always put yourself above other people. There was this frantic climb to get to the top of the ladder. The only way you could be prominent and important is that you, you had other people serving you. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, you are the servant. That's what glorifies God. You humble yourself. And then he went on to say, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he put the cherry on the top of the ice and on the top of the cake. He says, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled what it means to serve others when he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. There are opportunities, as I pointed out, to serve people within the church. I love to see Christians get excited about helping each other in the church. Going out of their way to take care of the need of 
one of the shut-ins or somebody that's in the hospital or somebody just got home from the hospital or reaching out to help somebody that's down on the luck or in the church, you know. Even blesses my heart to see the kids hold the door for some of our seniors as they come in. And, you know, just serving. Let's have an atmosphere of contagious service where you're not sitting back and saying, would somebody please bring me a dessert? Now, I realize. <laughs> now, granted, granted. We spoil some of our seniors, okay? And I want y'all to carry them desserts, okay? But I'm talking about the rest of us that are very energetic and able. I don't sit back and say, will somebody clean up my classroom? You know, or, look, don't sit back and say, what can people do for me? Be willing to say, look, let me, let me do that for you. Let me help you. There are plenty of opportunities to serve others in the church, and there are plenty of opportunities to serve others outside of the church. Problem is, we don't want to see them. Could I get an amen there? Oh, I'm straining it. No, no. You, you say, well, preach, if I just knew that there was a family in need, if I just knew that there was somebody out there, if I just knew, open your eyes. Take a stroll. Go for a ride. Knock on the door. Ask the clerk at the grocery store. Hey, do you know anybody in the community that maybe they're going through a hard time and in need and Oh, there's plenty of people around us who are in need. We just don't want to see it. Listen, a true disciple sacrificially ministers to others within the church and out of the church. But listen, a true disciple is willing to take up our cross daily, realizing it involves blessings and challenges. As his disciples, we share the eternal joy of ministering to others. Things that you do for one another and other people here on the earth, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, as good as it feels, that's not the crowning moment. Because those people that you reach out to to unselfishly touch their life and to encourage them and show love and to help meet their needs, let me tell you something. I don't know if you all remember, years ago, there was a contemporary, what was contemporary back then, singer by the name of Ray Bolts. And he sang a simple little song that just really caught my attention. And it was, it was thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Yeah, that song so convicted my heart. I thought about the Sunday school teachers. One of them happened to be my dad. When I was a junior boy. And that's about nine and ten years old. And some of y'all understand the purgatory of being stuck in the classroom with junior boys. My dad and a, young, and a man in the community by the name of Urquhart Stewart. Humble, godly. Country man, just as country as you can. <laughs> I heard that song. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Of course, Ray Bolts is talking about when you get to heaven, people that you had the opportunity to minister to and show love to and influence them and draw them to Christ, witness to them. And, and because of your love and your service to them, they ended up in heaven and they come up to you unbeknownst to you. You've forgotten all about it. And there you are in eternity. And they walk up to you. They hug you next to Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for giving to that missionary who shared the gospel with me. <laughs> so I went back home and I found Urquhart. Because I'd already made things right with Dad. I hugged that man. He's still a strong guy. I hugged him and I said, Urquhart, I can't thank you enough, man, for the patience and the love and the forbearance that you poured yourself into us knuckleheads Sunday after Sunday. And I know there are plenty of times that he was thinking, what in the world am I doing here? 
as he's peeling us off of one another as we're fighting and throwing things and whatever. But you know what? Out of that rowdy, knucklehead bunch came three pre preachers of the gospel. Three pastors of churches. Sometimes we have the joy of seeing the benefit of ministering to others. But let me tell you something. If you don't get it here on this side of eternity, who knows who will walk up to you in the midst of the glory of God, in the midst of the eternal kingdom of God, and say to you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But we also know that as disciples of Jesus Christ, it, all does, it doesn't always come up roses. Sometimes when we faithfully, diligently take up our cross and follow the Lord and seek to minister to others as his disciples, we can expect some rejection. Look at chapter 15, John's Gospel, verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Listen, not everybody's going to hug your neck, shake your hand, pat you on the back and say, I'm so glad you took the time to come to me. Dad shared gospel with me. Oh, no, 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 no. Not everybody's going to throw the door open when you knock, show up at their doorstep and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so up in Cornerstone Baptist Church and I'll just in the neighborhood and just thought I'd stop by and just see if you'd like to talk about the Lord. He's the greatest thing ever happened in my life. They may slam the door or stick the dog on you. I'm just saying. Jesus said, don't be shocked and surprised when people don't hug your neck and treat you good because you come to them with love. He said, they hated me. There will be people, and you know this, there will be people, the minute that you say, now you could probably get away with saying, yeah, I believe in God. But the minute you throw the name Jesus Christ into the formula, you can watch the back of their neck and the hair start standing up and you think you got yourself a transformed pit bull. And they'll tell you to your face, get out of my face. You hypocrite, you homophobe. I hate you Christians. I'm telling you. But don't take it personal. Don't get all tore up. And go off and sulk. Jesus says they hated me first. They'll hate you if you're true. If you're the real deal. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that would just absolutely cause me to do sanctified cartwheels in heaven is to be there. <laughs> but beyond that, to see you there. One of the things that causes nightmares for me is what I think about somebody I love not being there. I know the Lord tells us in His Word He'll wipe the tears from my eyes. But He didn't say anything about the tears that will fall now. I pray to God that God will not only use me, but that He'll use you 
to touch the heart of other people, be a sincere, authentic, biblical disciple, so that one day they'll walk up to you in the glory of heaven, in the splendor of God's kingdom, and say, thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I realize it's ultimately in God's hands because God is the one who chooses, elects, but He also gives us the opportunity to represent Him. Be real, folks. As a church, let's be real. As disciples and as a congregation. Let's pray.